0: the podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time all right we're here uh i'm excited uh tony is also mia uh yet again he's taking care of babies uh i keep telling him one of those babies gonna get jobs um they're only like two months old and already you know they they're they're um they're taking advantage of him. So um, hopefully he'll be able to hop on board the show soon and um, we'll be able to do some more episodes because I miss him. Um, but for now, I have some special guests, and that's Christina and Brian from the Old Roommates podcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: Uh, thanks for having us. Great to
2: be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Christina, why don't you tell me, um, you know, why don't you tell our listeners what the premise of your show is and kind of... Uh, uh, give us a little recap
1: okay so the uh, the podcast is called Old Rommates. we are the only podcast that revisits pop culture through a middle-aged lens and um, so basically what that means is we talk about we revisit movies that we watched 20 30 years ago and we sort of look at it as our lives have changed so now we're married and I have a child, so some of the movies that we might have loved when we were in you know college or in our twenties may be very different. Um, we may like different parts of it, and sometimes we love it, sometimes we hate it, sometimes we wonder why we even liked it in the first place um, but it's really fun we we talk about what you know we we talk about movies and TV, um, TV shows music videos. You name it, from the 70s, 80s, and 90s.
0: Yeah, I think um, one thing that I, well, what I, what I really uh, like about the show, and one thing I like about podcasts in general, is uh, this unsung thing that oftentimes when, they're, when you have a podcast, especially with two hosts or, or more, um, you kind of get to hear them get to know each other um, throughout the course of listening through the podcast um, but mm-hmm. that's intrinsically built into the DNA of your show. You know each other. Um, and so okay. you hear that instantly, like in the first few minutes. Um, and then, and and I love that kind of, that I, like you said, like that looking back upon things, because our relationship with pop culture is always evolving and changing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I love that, because uh, I think sometimes people get up into that, you know, when you have a conversation with someone, it's like, well what did you think? And they want, a, I liked it or I hated it. And it's, never, it's right. never about that. It's always this kind of up and down nuance thing. And some days you're, well, this thing worked or this didn't work. And then you revisit it later on when you have different perspectives and you're just like, oh, well, I, I've changed my mind completely. Or um, So I, I really like that aspect of the show. Thank
1: yeah. you. And it, you know, it is interesting though, too, because you'll look back at something and, you, and you'll really want to revisit a movie because you really loved it. And then it sort of changes. And you definitely look at it differently when you are looking at it for the podcast, for sure. But I find a lot of times, sometimes I'm dis- disappointed that I revisited it because it alters the memory of you know, that great movie that I used to love. But then at other times I appreciate it a lot more so it's 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 really interesting for me at least. What do you Brian? What do you think?
2: Yeah, you think? I think well, I think um to Matt's earlier point, like we um we we do have that comfort already, like we were roommates a million years. I should clarify one thing. Christina said, you know, we're married um and I have a child. Not, yeah. We are not married. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the way it was no, Christina, it was so funny because the way you worded it, I was like I'm thinking someone's gonna hear this and think that not only are we married, but I'm, I don't even care about the kid that we have. <laughs> it's your, it's your kid. It's not my kid. No, but we, yeah, we used to be roommates, um, and then we, were, sorry, we worked together at first. Then we were roommates, and then we're just best friends. And um, but it's great because we can fight. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> we really so fight. So if you listen to our Christmas spectacular episode, <laughs> we basically fight about eighty percent of the episode it's in our holiday. <laughs> yes, in our holiday classic, we're just fighting the whole time. But um yeah, but I have to say too, I, I'm I think I approach it a little differently than Christina because I when I revisit these things that we talk about, I want to like it. Like I'm not why am I rewatching something unless I really hope to like it? So when I'm disappointed by something, I I get real disappointed because then I just wasted my time and it hurt my memory. Because sometimes I think nostalgia. We say this in the, on the podcast too. It's like we say, like, does nostalgia trump quality? Because there are things like, really quick, Pretty Woman. We trashed this movie for, for like almost an hour, but then the last five minutes were like, but I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's beca- But I think that's part of this. This our show. It's the whole conceit of it is like. You know, you you have these fond memories when you revisit and because you know so much more about even just filmmaking, you know, it's different.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, we talk about that a lot on our show, too, even though we're uh, exploring new things. But we're always exploring things uh, via our, our prior experiences. We like to always draw comparisons to things that um, we're familiar with. Um, but we do have that conversation a lot about... Uh, nostalgia and how that kind of drives a lot of people's desires. And that's part of the premise of our show is to not get trapped by nostalgia and to try to explore new things. Um, so uh, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, is there anything in particular aside from Pretty Woman where you were just like had a complete reversal of opinion?
1: Uh, pretty <sighs> I think, wasn't very pretty. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, anything with the word pretty in it, Matt, we just yes, hate. That's
1: kind of yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, pretty and pink is very surprising to me. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I just had a completely different um, opinion of the characters. And yeah, it that was very different for me.
2: I will add to that that I think TV shows in particular, if you ever, oh my gosh, if you can revisit Sex and the City season one and not want to wish carrie would step into oncoming traffic like you're doing like I, Christina and I like we we watched the show in real time it was a every sunday night thing when we lived together and like we have to do our first episode about sex in the city because that's what it's like it's very it was a very defining time for for us and uh i'm telling you like episode 2 i'm like should i reach out to Christina and ask if this is just a all a big <laughs> mistake <laughs> because sarah jessica parker's character carrie bradshaw in sex and the city is rough this time around and it's i mean i'm 48 and i i'm like wow um i kind of am siding with mr big through this whole ordeal it's she's a lot and um and i think even like family ties for that matter there were a lot of sitcoms um particularly in like the 80s that um because they had a live studio audience they were very stagey and loud and we're finding that out, Christina, through through this process. Like we're finding these sitcoms that are like, why is everyone so loud? <laughs> and I wonder if it's part of this idea of theater that the, we have these live studio audiences, which we don't really have anymore. A lot of com- comedy, um, sorry, uh, comedy shows don't have, you know, even laugh tracks anymore, which I think is a good thing. But um, I think you know because shows don't have that live studio audience, um, the the, the conversations feel more organic these days versus in the 80s, like especially Family Ties, it's very prominent yeah. and, and noticeable. I think the, I think the comedy series, movie was that I think are more challenging and personally for me to get through.
1: Oh, for sure. Even just, yeah, even just the, um, the scripts themselves, a lot of the, the scripts you find, they're saying things for an audience reaction and it doesn't seem organic. It's it's so different. It's very very different. Uh,
0: have have you done uh, anything on Cheers? Because I I I feel Cheers really holds up.
1: We did do Cheers, and it absolutely does hold up from episode one, and that's one of our one of my favorite episodes. Where I'm watching it, and I think Brian, didn't you say you you ended up watching the. The second season, and I like, kind of continued to watch it
2: i did I, I kept watching it. It was um, yeah, it has that sort of I was talking about with the golden girls that sort of comfort comfort vibe, but Christina, <laughs> there was one thing we didn't we did have a great time revisiting that, however, I mean, Shelly Long's character, Diane chambers, in the first ten episodes, she gets what we would determine now as sexual assault. She's sexually assaulted three times in the first ten episodes, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was for
2: laughs. It was for laughs. Yeah, that's a good point.
3: So
1: that part, yeah,
0: we did an we did an episode on taxi, which is something that I think we were too young to really uh, ever understand or really remember anything. So it felt brand new to us, and a lot of it holds up really well, especially a lot of the jokes. But there was this kind of subtext with uh, Mary Lou Henner's character where you know she they would always kind of criticize her and she was always the hot one and um and uh, uh, you know and and you could chalk it up to like oh well you know that was the time but at the same time you know people were still pushing back against that back then um uh, but you never really hear that narrative you know people were saying well we want better roles for women even in the 70s uh and in mm-hmm. the 80s um so yeah it's 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 it's, it's a tricky thing to kind of look back on things and I think what's difficult now is now that we're kind of a little more aware of these things, like how do we talk about old art um, that maybe has some things that uh, uh, would be considered problematic or questionable now? And how do we discuss them? Because um, like I said earlier, up like up front, just about in general, it's not always like a good or bad thing. There's like lots of gray area there. Um, yeah. Brian, in our initial emails, um, you know you had mentioned a few things, uh, and the one thing that really stu- stood out to me was uh, you said you had never seen anything Barbara Streisand related. That that was kind of a big uh, blind spot for you. Uh, and so I pitched uh, the topic of today's episode, and that's the movie What's Up, Doc, um, which is a movie that I'm I'm really fond of. And then I have to admit, like after we had decided on covering the movie. I took a step back and I was like, oh, well, this isn't necessarily like the archetypal Barbara Streisand movie. <laughs> so I don't know if it's necessarily like the great introduction into her. But so before we get into the movie, I wanted to know like, you know, how come there's that Barbara Streisand blind spot?
2: For me, um, I, I feel like I'm a very bad gay when it comes to B- Barbra Streisand. I... I just find oh gosh, this is not. I'm so glad we talked a little bit before like this question because I'm gonna sound like a jerk. I just feel like she's a very she's very disingenuous. I question how many real experiences she's ever had in her life. There's something very Mariah Carey about her, even though she was I mean decades before Mariah Carey. But I think there's that idea where I imagine like th- I was trying to. Like I was, it was predicting you were going to ask me this specific question. I was like, "Here's my thought with her. I feel like if she goes to whenever Barbara Streisand goes, this is so stupid. Whenever Barbara Streisand goes to a funeral, I bet she asks her assistant how sad she should be. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like I feel like I, I feel like her. I feel like she's very guarded and weird, in particular. And even we'll get to the movie um, later on, but I feel like everything's a pose, and everything's very controlled. And I just i just like to see her slip on a, bana- on, a, on a banana peel. I'd like to see her do, like, like in a blooper reel that's, like, two hours long. Like, I just... I don't see much um, of that that identifiable, like, humanity or... or Christina, do you have anything to say I, I to totally help me out?
1: Get, I, I totally get what you're saying. I think that she's... I think that stems from her being a very private person. And so you don't really know a lot about her. Or at least I don't. I don't feel like she's out in making, you know, obviously not making like commercials and she's not trying to sell her personality. She's um, she's in a movie and that's who you see. You see the character that she's playing. So you don't really see a lot of her, her personality. I think that's where that kind of stems from. Um, but I, I agree with that. And I'm not, I mean, I've seen... Um, you know, a handful of, of Barbara Streisand movies. And I, I will say, um, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of her music, and, but I don't really know who she is. So I can't say that I'm a fan of her. I'm a fan of her acting in a lot of her movies, but I, I will say I, I tend to like her dramatic roles more than her comedy. Um, but uh, like, you know, Yentl and um, Nuts and Prince of Tide and you know, those sort of meteor roles. I think that she's great in. Um, But yeah, I mean, as far as her as a person, I mean, she was married. Who was she married to? James. um, Brolin. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin.
2: James Brolin. Yeah, James Brolin.
1: I think
0: she had had a lot of husbands, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was the one I remember. But that's kind of my point. Like, you don't really know much about her. She's very different than like, a Whitney Houston or like a, like a Mariah Carey you know a lot about a Mariah Carey and should we though but she also comes off as like a... <laughs> so she's very yeah unrelatable unrelatable
0: so for me like I grew up and you know when I was when I was younger uh and she, like in the 90s when she was really it was it was more about her music cuz she wasn't she didn't act um that frequently and so for me like Growing up listening to like Nirvana and a lot of punk and hardcore stuff, like that was antithetical. (laughs) What she was doing was antithetical to what I was into at the time. So, uh, of course, I kind of was like, oh, I I don't understand this. This isn't, this is for, this is for like stuffy, this is for parents, you know? Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then, but so for me, what got me, made me appreciate her was what's up doc. And when I saw it, I was just kind of like, Oh, this is not what I was expecting. Um, But I, I do want to not push back necessarily, but I do think part of the reason she is so guarded is because, you know, she came on the scene and she had this sort of bravura, sort of like this big voice and people immediately were just like, Oh, who is this? And she was anointed like the, the era, the apparent to, Judy Garland like this is the next Judy Garland mm-hmm. and yeah. instantly she was criticized for how she looked uh, and even in with What's Up Doc the critic John Simon said she looks like a cross between an aardvark and an albino rat surmounted by a platinum coated horse bun and I think wow which is just vile <laughs> and you really think yeah it's <laughs> vile and vicious and I think because of that she Kind of took control of her image and who she was, and and was just like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push back at that. Like, I'm gonna be in control, and I'm not going to, I'm not gonna tolerate that shit." <laughs> you know.
1: I was, um, I'm a little older than you, and so um, I remember her. I remember there being a huge, almost like a, a I don't want to say scandal, but you know, it was a big topic of conversation of. Why isn't she getting a nose job? Like, I remember that being a huge thing for years. Like, yeah. why doesn't she just get a, no- get a nose job? And her answer, she didn't answer for a long time, but then her answer was basically, I didn't, she didn't want to change her voice, which she shouldn't even have had to answer that question. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. a ridiculous question to ask. But I remember being like kind of put off by that to begin with. Like, why does she need to? But that kind of gives you, you know, sort of an idea of of what she was up against it too.
2: But you know, it's really funny because I think What's Up Duck, first of all, I think she's beautiful. I, yeah, I, oh, I, yeah. and I mean that, I mean, and that's not a reaction to that question. I think, um, but um, What's Up Duck? I mean, she is presented as stunningly gorgeous. I mean, that is part of her almost, it's really almost most of her character is like that she is, A um, beautiful woman who is this beautiful woman of um, sort of almost obnoxious mystery, (laughs) and uh, and so that is shocking. That first of all, that a critic can even make a comment like that, and that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's and it's weird too because Christina's right. I remember that nose job conversation, that whole thing. Like, why does she just get her nose fixed? And it's like, but now I look at how society is when women do have or and men have plastic surgery, and then. We just make fun of them, so it's like oh, you, you either yeah can't win. Yeah, it's either you have it, you either oh you're the one with the big nose, or oh you're the one that had a nose job. So you can't mm-hmm. win, and everyone's a critic, and it um it really I mean, you know, I mean, just, that's
1: just Jennifer Gray.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, Gen- yeah, Jennifer Gray. Yeah, and so um it, it's yeah I would imagine being a movie star or any sort of celebrity is a challenge. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. i I think too like I mean, there's obviously things that you could probably uh make fun of her for now. Uh, supposedly she has like a mall in her basement and and you know so that she can go down and go shopping on her own and and stuff like that. And that stuff feels like kind of you know, a parody of excess. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. but I do think back at this time when this came out, like she was still like, this is only like her third or fourth movie. Um, and she was still kind of defining who she was. And this movie was a massive, massive success. Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, I think, you know, the first time I saw it, I, you know, I didn't have expectations for who she was because like, again, I was like, oh, well, she's just this singer that sings music that at that point anyway, didn't really appeal to me. And then when I saw this and you see that moment where she looks at him, um, like she meets um Ryan O'Neill's character for the first time, and her eyes are so piercing and she's so beautiful, and she feels so sincere when she looks at him and she's like, This guy's hot. <laughs> you know? And I that moment really, really works for me. Um, but let's 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 just get into the movie um and, and we'll talk about the specifics of it and your reaction to it as we kinda go. Um so this is um uh, came out in 1972. It's directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Are either of you familiar with Bogdanovich at all?
2: I know you did him an episode on Mask, right? That's right. Yeah, that's what I was. Gonna, I was gonna say that. Yeah. So uh, Mask, and I, I'm sure I've seen other things that he's done. I didn't really look too much into his filmography, but yeah, I'm familiar with Mask because I know he had issues. You know, he had problems with um, share. <laughs> uh which and i'm a huge share fan but uh that's kind of about it i think for me
1: yeah same um we i don't know me particularly i don't really go back into like the directors i'm not really big on directors that much but um yeah mask is probably my only um no known um experience with him
0: so he'd he did this movie. His first movie is called Targets. And uh, so th- that was like a Roger Corman production. And Roger Corman was this uh, infamous producer. Um, he still makes movies now. And basically, he would make a lot of kind of trashy B exploitation movies. Um, but uh, he's known for kind of doing things super, super cheap. But he it was about making money. But he also kind of fostered a lot of the bigger name directors that came out of the 70s and 80s. Everyone from um, uh, Jonathan Demme, who did Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, to uh, Joe Dante, who did Gremlins. Um, So basically, he went to Peter Bogdanovich and said, I have footage of this Boris Karloff movie, um, which is awful. And I have this footage from this other movie, which is awful. You can have it and you can make this movie super cheap. And Bogdanovich made it into this movie about... um, a mass shooter uh, and he had uh, access to Boris Karloff uh, for like two days and he kind of put all these pieces together and it was like a critical hit uh, and it did fairly well and with that he did this movie called The Last Picture Show um, which is kind of oh sure yeah this really big seminal 70s movie starring um, Sybil Shepard and um, Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges yep and that got like Massive critical acclaim and won a bunch of Oscars, but is also um, highly financially successful. So after that, he kind of had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. Uh, And so What's Up Doc is essentially um, his idea of a screwball comedy. And that kind of comedy had kind of fallen by the wayside by this point. So and Bogdanovich was always like more of a scholar than anything. And he loved like old uh, like the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, before he did movies, he was like a, a critic, and he got to know a lot of his heroes, um, and one of which is Howard Hawks. And so this movie's kind of based off of those 30s, 40s screwball comedies. Um, and you could see that in all the rhythm of the dialogue and the back and forth and all the miscommunications and the antics. Um, but the back half of the movie is actually more inspired by Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Um, where it goes into um, more uh, physical comedy.
2: And I had read, too, about Looney Tunes, that he was inspired, like yep. he wanted to almost make like a Looney Tunes yeah. live action.
0: And really, that's that's where <laughs> the title comes from, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it ends with a clip of Lo- a Looney Tunes thing on the, yeah. the plane, yeah.
0: Let's give it like a bare bones kind of synopsis. As best we can, because it's kind of convoluted by design. Uh, There's a lot of characters. uh, But ultimately, Barbara Streisand plays this character named Judy. um, And uh, Ryan O'Neill plays this character named Howard. uh, And Howard is engaged to Eunice, who's played by the great Madeline Kahn. Um, Mm -hmm. And essentially, there's um, these four separate uh, plaid overnight bags. And... Um all these characters convene in a hotel and the bags keep getting um switched and swapped around and ultimately it leads into this big kind of chase sequence in the back half um where there you know one bag is filled with uh, igneous rocks <laughs> one is mm-hmm. filled with jewels uh one is like top secret government files and the other one, which that's is say, that's a top
2: secret. Yeah, that's a top secret. Uh, and then Barbara,
0: yeah. the the one uh, Judy's, uh, which is Barbara Streisand's character, is just filled with uh, underwear and a uh, dictionary. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and throughout the movie, Barbara Streisand, uh, her character is is um, essentially pining for um, Ryan O'Neill's character. Uh, she's trying to convince him to ditch Eunice
2: and 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 uh, go for her. It's just such a sweet thing to do to someone. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so my, so my first thing, I guess this is, I took a lot of notes watching this thing. Great. And, um, and I just, and I'm talking, I'm like, and I kept sort of putting the time of my note in there and about Judy. And it was like, the whole thing is, like, I don't know why I should root for Judy.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, do you feel the same way christina
1: i did i was um i found it interesting that you don't you don't get to know a lot of somewhat like barbara you couldn't you didn't really get to know much about judy ahead of time aside from that you could see that she was very (laughs) self-centered didn't really know what was happening around her Mm -hmm. um hence the car crashes and things like that um and yeah, and I honestly didn't understand the attraction to um to Howard either like I, I I felt like I missed something. I'm like, did I miss a scene where they connected and she really you know fell for him? And I don't think I missed a scene but I, it was it was kind of strange that yeah, it was kind of strange that instant attraction to him and then she you know goes on to like Basically, Bruno's life, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, game, but yeah, I felt the same way. playing.
0: I think really, what it comes down to is that she found Howard really attractive, uh, and and he okay. was sort of um, this kind of gregarious, affable dude, uh, and and he's he's pretty knowledgeable. So like in that that first moment, I think it's more of just like, oh, who is this guy? Uh, and then so when she decides to pursue him, she doesn't know about Eunice yet. But once she starts learning about Eunice she's kind of just like that doesn't matter to me but to me uh what I like about Judy uh, and what makes the movie work for me is that she's not so much a character as she's a concept and that concept and this is gonna sound pretty probably a little too highfalutin for a movie so stupid <laughs> um, but she is like the personification of of chaos she's the embodiment of of this kind of how the universe has no control (laughs) because I don't think it's her ignorance that causes those car accidents. I just think those things happen because the movie, the first time we see her, she's watching someone toss pizza. She has no control over that moment and he tosses the pizza dough up and it just gets stuck to the ceiling. So I don't think these things actually actively happen because of her ignorance. I think they happen because she is just chaos just follows her. Um, And, and, and I think that the, what I like about the movie is the character stuff that we do get isn't so much like dumped on us up front. It's sprinkled throughout because she is incredibly smart and she's very learned. Um, the problem is that her chaos follows her. And so she's been kicked out of tons of colleges. Um, but she can keep up with all these professors and these uh, scholars and. Um, and, and and that's kind of what endears her in some ways to not only um, Ryan O'Neill's character, but also to um, Frederick Larrabee. Uh, and that's something else we should probably fill in. Larrabee is um, offering uh, scholarships, no, uh, grants to... Um, it was a musicologist yeah, banquet, <laughs> which is absurd, but uh, yeah. it's I- essentially like a bunch of scholars got together and Larrabee is basically like, I have this... M- gr- Uh, It was like 20 grand, and he's going to give it to whoever kind of pitches to him um, their scholastic ideas. And that one was Howard, and the other was this character, uh, which is Hugh Simon, (laughs) which is played by Kenneth Mars. So there's all those kind of like miscommunications between all those characters. But everybody likes Judy because she is uh, kind of passionate, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well you know i i kept wondering is it because is it is it because it's 72 like is it because there's the sexual revolution uh you know the 60s and that like she still is sort of this i mean sort of sexual creature i mean she's all about she's very much like she's very flirtatious she knows how to give a stare she flirts and um and there's this, this captivating sort of um, way about her. Uh, and I wondered if that was part of the, like you, and I know what you mean by chaos, but I do wonder like in terms of the attraction the men that sort of swirl around her, and even to the point where she's distracting to the pizza guy who, you know, the dough gets stuck on the ceiling, but it does seem, I wonder how much of, <laughs> I don't know what the right answer is. I just wonder how much of it is because of her way
3: right is yeah.
2: she captivated yeah. is she that that sort of um, object of desire for well, many people also in this movie
1: very very independent and she does her own thing her own way and that's also somewhat new you know or you know in the 70s it's sort of more explored but you know you get the sense that you know these these professors you um, and, you know, scholars or whatever that, that is in this is this benefit, it's a new type of woman for them. So I think that also makes her very, you know, alluring in that sense that she's she's very independent and she's, again, intelligent and, um, you know, knows what she wants and, and all that. I think that that's part of her appeal as well.
2: I want to add quickly that scene with the um, it's obviously a very long uh, sequence with the banquet Um, when she's sitting at the table. I feel like there aren't. uh, Yes, she is set up to be a very smart uh, person. But I feel like at that table, there aren't too many connected or complete conversations because you consistently have Ryan O'Neill's character interrupting because he's so like uh, Flustered. I don't know, not really embarrassed. He's trying to, he's flustered because Eunice is coming down at any minute now, although she can't get her name tag. But I, so I guess the the challenge with that is she's, yeah, she is smart. However, there's not, a, there's not too many completed conversations that from A to Z that she can actually, that she's allowed, I should say that, that she's allowed to talk her way through. Because this movie is more, I think, interested in the calamity than Developing, I'll just say it like developing her as a complete character
0: for sure and I think I, I think that's by design I don't think this movie's it's not a character movie it's like no no it's about the rhythm of the language uh it's about the gags and um it, it it's about that back and forth between the characters who, almost outsmarting each other but oftentimes it's mostly like a lot of the dialogue is kind of like, you know, miscommunication kind of things or like pushing back on things. Like when Howard goes to apologize to Eunice at one point, she's just like, I bet you're here to apologize. And he's just like, no, no, no. And then she's just like, you're not going to apologize. You know, so that's kind of like the the back and forth of the whole. Um...
1: Well, I was just going to say to Brian's point too. Yes, I, I agree that at that point she wasn't able to like finish a thought, but you also realize that she's, been there for a while like she was there before Ryan got there and she you kind of get that sense that she's already had these conversations with these these people to you know show to, to have that those complete thoughts so you kind of have that assumption at least I did mm-hmm. um, that she's already like kind of wowed them and convinced them of a number of things
0: she's also like a storyteller by nature so and and because of the rapid nature of the dialogue I think that's just kind of Uh, part and parcel with how they're all communicating. So, you know, a couple of lines are probably going to do it for these people. And, like, he wows them by saying, like, oh, we've been on adventures and, and, uh, like, taking them outside of this realm of academics, essentially. And, and, And you can feel that with her, too. And I think with her performance as well that, like, she's not a stuffy academic. And even Eunice in that context probably wouldn't have been able to capture their attention in the way she does because she does come in and she has this commanding presence and that's part of it is just like oh like who is this person that's walking to the room and i think that's kind of exemplified by how she is often framed because she, really the only close-ups in this movie are of her her and maybe ryan O'Neal's character but most of the time when she's in framed in close-up it's like she's stunningly beautiful
2: she is yep i agree I believe that it's possible that you can have this sort of woman of mystery character in a comedy, but give her like, what's at stake for her? Like is she, like to have it, I just wish, even if they had, even if she had just said, um, Oh, there's when the bag stuff started happening, if she had said, Oh, I know it's the dictionary thing, but like, <sighs> Even if she had crafted a lie to get Ryan O'Neill more invested in her, pl- in, in a plight, I won't even say her plight; she doesn't have one, but in a plight, mm-hmm. like. And then you find out later on that, oh, you know, it was just a lie because I thought you were cute. Like that would actually—I mean, I'm not rewriting a movie, but like, <laughs> like the thing is, I. But I guess it's like I just – do that all
1: the time. Matt.
2: <laughs> we do that on, on our show a lot. You give it's notes. Like, Why they just do that. <laughs> we we absolutely rewrite movies. Um, but yeah, so it's I guess I just wanted something beyond. Looks and something that was more connected to the plot.
0: Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like to me, plot is probably the least important thing of a movie. <laughs> uh, I don't only because um, I think sometimes we get so bogged down in the specifics and the hows and the whys without actually. Because the thing with me with film in particular is like the form is the is is super important. So how things are framed and how things are shot and the way it's cut and edited and all those things, what makes something specifically a film are really important to, to me anyway, because that's where I see the artistry. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of this movie kind of does with the way the camera follows her. Uh, and, and and that tells a story in and of itself. And I think if we give her any more backstory, I, I worry that she would just become... again, like the thing that really appeals to me is that core of like, this is just chaos. This is chaos personified. And Mm -hmm. I think a a weird kind of, um, when I was watching it this time, I was kind of like, oh, you know what make a good double feature with this? Alien Covenant, (laughs) Uh, which is um, uh, an alien prequel and it has Michael Fassbender playing this android who's essentially, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but... He plays this android that essentially uh, is questioning his existence within reality uh, about his creators. And then he starts messing with all of his creators just because he can. Um, it's kind of like a cross between like that, you know, uh, Promethean man and like Frankenstein, uh, which is an odd comparison to this movie. Again, it's and I know I'm 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 <laughs> okay. and taking uh, I'm painting it with all these you know, broad strokes, philosophical broad strokes. But that appeals to me because, uh, again, going back to the 70s, a lot of the conversation around the 70s is about, like, the male auteur, you know, like the director that... The, the directors were controlling the system then. You have guys like Martin Scorsese and Francis Coppola. You have The Godfather. You have um, Taxi Driver and all these really male dominated movies. And these characters are allowed to be complete unrepentant assholes. And that's sort of dominated Mm -hmm. the past like four decades of media where we, you know, and we're finally in the past 10 years making headway on that and getting, telling more variety of stories. Uh, But you still see that cropping up in superhero movies where there is just like, you know, it's all about like these dudes, um, And to see a movie like this with this character who's allowed to be um, unrepentantly herself and and bold and unabashedly, um, you know, she she doesn't she doesn't care what anyone thinks about her. And I think that's so refreshing. And we don't really see characters like that nowadays. Um, And that's kind of what makes it work for me.
2: I was going to say, I feel like her character like nowadays would almost be like the best friend. This sort of yeah, like maybe. quirky, this quirky, aloof, fast talking charmer. I feel like she'd be like a supporting character in a movie. I'm saying nowadays, Definitely. or probably even back to the 80s, right? Like she's because,
0: especially that, romantic comedies.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. It's like that sort of like always positive, always like fast talking, always has an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she'd be more of like that, the best, like sort of the best friend character than the lead. It's an, I, I it's funny as you were talking I was nodding my head the whole time um and yet uh and you know, yet you're like no this mean, movie's bad my, feeling,
3: my, feeling,
0: my feelings <laughs> are still my Can feelings I... yeah no 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 of course of course
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um I will say she is the you know in the film uh and what's up back her character is the daughter of the judge and by the yep. way I know we're not going to get too into every scene but that the car chase and the the judge scene. Yeah. Um where it's revealed it's her it's her dad are I think the funniest scenes um in the movie I was uh, truly laughing out loud yeah. at the judge. I mean it's just such um it's a really great scene great dialogue. Liam Dunn is the actor and um good stuff. And so you do you learn a little bit about her then and you can almost imagine what that upbringing must have been like to be the daughter of a judge, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, and I think that mystery, like for me with movies, oftentimes I'm looking for that mystery. I want to be able to think beyond it and not actually have all those pieces. And you kind of get this sense in that moment where he's just, oh, Judy. And it's almost like that his reaction is just like, again, like this keeps happening. You've been kicked out of so many schools. Um, like, what? What is your life? But another, another <laughs> proof of point that like she doesn't really have control over the chaos is that he leans on on his um, oh, what do they call those in uh, in a courtroom? His um, it's not a desk, no, but yeah, the um, yeah, no a lectern, the bench, or, the bench, um,
2: bench. You know, they yeah.
0: approach the bench. Um, yeah, he leans on the bench and it just falls apart. <laughs> so, uh, and and even when um, there's a scene where um. Uh, Barbara Streisand has snuck into um, Ryan O'Neill's room and she's taking a bubble bath and then uh, absolute chaos ensues as Eunice tries to go into the room and then uh, room service shows up uh, and then all the shenanigans with the, the bags being um, mixed up with each other kind of starts coming together and then a fire's in the room and all these things but she, at that point she you know tries to escape from Eunice and she's hanging from outside of the window. So she's not really controlling what's happening in the room. It's still just chaos <laughs> is swirling all around her and um, I just but love that. She
1: is the cause of the chaos. Oh yeah,
0: she starts it,
1: she starts <laughs> situation. it. She is yeah. the cause of the chaos. I think with this movie it's really interesting like so I didn't know anything about this movie going into it and I didn't do any research on it. I knew about it. I knew the name and I knew the stars and that was it. And so when I first started watching this movie, I felt like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I (laughs) didn't understand, like, what was happening? I'm like, I I needed to slow my brain down to understand everything that was going on because everything happened so fast. And I didn't love it because um, of everything, a lot of what Brian's saying about the character development and, you know, not really getting behind Judy. And about halfway through, I um, I ended up, I actually, I watched I watched the whole thing through, and then I said, you know what? I need to look at this a little differently because it, I kind of about halfway through realized, oh, I get it. This is the type of movie that this is, and it's not something that we're really used to seeing. It's yeah. not really plot-driven. It's not really character-driven. It's no. just a bunch of, like, that's a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, And so I had to... I had to rewatch the first half of it with new eyes understanding like what type of movie it is that I'm watching and it helped me to understand it and it helped me to um, not really understand it. It's not much to understand, but it it helped me to um, to appreciate it more and just the style of the movie. So I think that's, that was a lot to get around just the actual style of the movie. And once you sort of let that go, you can appreciate it a little bit more.
3: Oh, for sure. And that,
1: you know, yeah, so I, that, that was sort of where I was kind of stuck. You're not used to seeing movies like that. You're used to seeing movies a little bit more, you know, a little more black and white. Like, this is, you know, what's happening. This is who they are. Um, but I loved, I actually loved the, 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 um, that final scene. Well, yeah, the, the judge scene, because it's almost like you, you get a little more character development with Judy, and it's it's almost like a backwards approach where you know nothing about her at the beginning, and you're sort of forgiving, you know. Once you let it go, like once you let go, like okay, I need to just like watch the movie. Um, you you don't know much about her, and you you accept her, and then at the end, you feel like oh, okay, I get it a little bit better now.
0: Sure, I think too, like. Um, you don't see this type of storytelling t- very often now. And I th- there's this sort of like immediate gratification with modern films, especially with romantic comedies and comedies in general where they kind of give you so much backstory up front. Um and I I I don't really like that. I I like that organic sort of like let's pepper it in as the characters l- are learning about the other characters, we're going to learn about them. And like, for instance, Judy's overnight bag is just her underwear and a dictionary. But they never call attention to the fact that there's a dictionary in there. But that obviously says something about her, especially from a movie from 1972. But maybe a modern movie might be like, she has a dictionary, blah, blah, blah. And they'll point it out. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Kind of like the top secret. On top of the the confidential (laughs) document. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's top secret. Like that, they're feeding that to us, but the dictionary is sort of like there.
0: Yeah. But even the top secret thing, like that's just a gag because, like, Mm -hmm. there are other movies where that would be like, oh, what is the top secret thing? This is just a government thing. It doesn't matter. It's just a site (laughs) gag. You open it up and it's like, dun dun dun, top secret. Again, it's a living cartoon. Yeah. But this movie's tagline was, um, a screwball comedy, remember them, and 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 I think that's part of it too. Is like this is very much in the vein of 30s, 40s screwball comedies. Um, and and those things have by the 70s, not many people were really, you know, that had kind of fallen out of favor. And especially now, you know, screwball comedy isn't as much of a you see it more in maybe television shows, that rhythm of dialogue, uh, than you do on anything, uh, in theaters.
1: And looking back, it's funny, because um, I, I gave this a lot of thought after even watching it. But even looking back at a, as of today, looking back at a 1972 movie is very similar to me as watching a 1935 movie. So there's not a whole lot of difference there, because both of those decades are so far away. Whereas sure. if I was in the 80s watching a 70s movie, I would have appreciated the fact that it was satirical and it was, you know, kind of mocking the 30s hijinks movies. Yeah. So, but I, I kind of lost that little, like, a little bit of that satirical part of it because they kind of lumped together for me because they're so old. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's only like, there's only 50 years between the 30s and the 70s. You know, what, what's that
2: matter? Christina, that is that is so wise, Christina. And I think it's like, it's just old. Matt, what we're trying to say, Matt, is that it's just old. Okay? Matt,
0: Matt, you like old things. Get out of here. Get with the new stuff.
2: We only go to the 80s, Matt. Um, oh, my gosh.
1: Like rock now, right? Our nineties, our two thousands yeah. are in my like classic <laughs> rock now. No,
0: on, I, that's, that's one thing I talk about with my friends all the time. The shocking reality that like bands like Nirvana or um you know, like the first like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg album are older to now than the Beatles were to then. And that's just mm. like, no, no, what is
2: happening?
3: It's crazy. Yeah. Matt, I do have
2: a Matt, I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. If I can if I can flip this just a little. What is your least favorite part of this film this movie yeah
0: i think in a lot of ways it's maybe a little too academic because it is beholden to things that came before it so um like this movie like after you've seen bringing up baby you're just like oh okay you're you're doing a version of this um Mm -hmm. and and also like the back half like uh, some of it feels like um like an homage and kind of replicating things that I've seen from the thirties and forties. Um, Cause like the thirties, f- forties might be my favorite era of film. Um, and, and so I went back and I think I saw this, I think I watched this first uh, and I was just like, Oh, this is really charming and delightful. Um, and then when I went back and I filled in those pieces, I was like, Oh, it makes more sense now. Um, and, I both liked it more and also maybe a little less <laughs> if that makes okay. sense because I yeah, just understood yeah. where it came from like, you know. Um, and I, I mean because really like this, the char- like this isn't a character movie to me. This is really about those gags and whether or not they're executed well. and, and I think this is exemplary for that kind of a tat rhythm of dialogue uh and i miss that i i wish there was this form of storytelling again i want to see more variety with you know comedies modern comedies in particular or at least movies visually aren't very appealing uh they always kind of are shot in similar ways and there's just a lot of kind of close ups mm-hmm. um and it's a lot of people talking like you instantly think of like Judd Apatow movies and stuff and they visually mm-hmm. are really drab and this movie's gorgeous mm-hmm. um and there's a it's mostly shot and, and wide shot and you see like five or six people in the frame they're all clearly uh, uh they're all blocked in positions where you can see everyone and everyone's reactions and mm-hmm. when it cuts it's cutting to like you know everything is connected perfectly um uh and, and, and when it's use when they do use close up it's sparingly, but it's so it's so expertly um placed within the movie, especially in that intimate moment where she sings, like the only time she sings in the movie. Uh right. yeah. Again, like it well, this is not the typical the Yeah. That's her song cre- at the beginning, yeah. And those are those are that's a Cole P- Porter song. Um which is again another kind of thirties, forty thing.
1: That was awesome. I love that the beginning credits and I I, I loved um not to go back to the very beginning of the movie, but I love that it made her me miss her voice so much, just hearing her. And I love the way they the credits because it really helped you to like enjoy that song as opposed to now when you're watching beginning credits and it's like you're missing the whole first season if you're like relaxing and listening to the song.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, and it also has that great detail where it has a storybook, which should re- really, that whole first few minutes should, it, it really tells you what you're gonna watch. It's all, Mm -hmm. you know, it's got the storybook. It has the hand that's going through. So in the hand that's flipping the pages actually kind of like, you know, brushes the, um, there's like a, when it says, what's up doc as the title, it has like a lipstick, you know, like a kiss that's on the Mm -hmm. page and the hand kind of brushes it. It's kind of playful. You never really see that kind of interaction, but that kind of like storybook thing, that's like a Disney thing, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's what it's telling you right up front. Like this is not going to be like like a a standard romantic comedy this is going to be a a fairy tale in a lot of
2: ways I will say I think in terms of some good stuff involving um Streisand like her line readings are incredible oh yeah like there's a she is I mean there's a lot of dialogue that's like you know goofy corny and very like um rapid fire and she just nails it and there's some long scenes and I think I'm trying to think of one in particular but like maybe leading up to when she sings, or it's either right before or right after because it's in my notes around that song. But there's a, a stretch where they're walking and she's just like, and I will say, I think she does a much better job with that dialogue than Ryan O'Neill, uh, but she's just rapid fire. Whereas I think O'Neill almost has a tougher role in the sense that he talks to himself a lot. He gets his words mixed up and then he has to correct himself. Mm-hmm. And then there's that, and then he breaks the fourth wall a couple times which is an interesting choice. I mean, you know, it's a crazy movie. Um, but yeah, I I did think she did an amazing job with so much of the dialogue.
1: Yeah, and everything she said was rapid fire. Like, I felt like everything yeah. she said was just like this. I almost had to like pause it a little bit, say, wait, what did she say? But it, it caught up to my brain. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like when she she's says great. something like when, like when she's just like, um, who's Eunice? That's a Eunice.
2: <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I will. Can I say something really quick about sure. Eunice? Yeah, uh, I do feel like I was a bit team Eunice in the sense of like she kept. Um, what is Ryan O'Neill's character's name? This um,
1: is Howard.
2: Howard. Like he, she kept him in check. I feel like he needed it. He was a bit of a space shot, and um, and so I think there's that. But I I had a I struggled with this film because they because Judy's beautiful. Eunice is unattractive, and I really had a problem with that. I think Madeline Kahn is the the courtroom scene. I would argue she's Madeline Kahn is beautiful in that court. Her hair is flat. She looks like meek. Yeah, and I think she's actually quite beautiful anyway. But um, it's a weird choice for a film. Even I think in 1972 to say, um, this is the beautiful woman and this is the unattractive woman and. It just
1: but felt- I wonder, Brian, I wonder if they really felt that Barbara Streisand was the beautiful one. Like, I don't know if people then, like we're saying it, We, I agree, I think she was beautiful too, but I don't know that people saw her as beautiful then. And I don't know when they're doing the casting, they felt like it's a beautiful woman against um, a not so beautiful woman. I think they were more thinking about there's a controlling woman and someone that is completely chaotic. And that's the choice between those two. I don't think anyone was saying, "Oh, Barbara, she's gorgeous." Like, then let me
2: then would... let me remind you of a quote. In this, in this, are you talking about the? Have...
0: I think I know which quote you're talking. from. From, from the, the judge.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's that's he, that's a that's a kind
2: of rough. Yeah, it rough. Yeah, it's rough. I is. think maybe. Not, I mean, seventy-two. You know, but I mean, uh, I, when he's when she says they molested me, and he said, "I find that." You know, hard to believe, or whatever. Some whatever he said, or
1: um, oh no, I wrote it down. What did she write? There was like, actually, I laughed at that. <laughs> All right, I'm a woman. I can laugh at that. Yeah, no, that's unbelievable. That's what she. That's said. Yeah,
0: that's unbelie- Well, I mean, they do. They do saddle her with this like helmet wig. Which is ridiculous. Um, But I I think the movie, to its credit, also knows that her relationship with Howard isn't a good one because Howard doesn't care about her. From the get go, he's just kind of like, whatever, I don't I don't care. And he even says like she says at one point, oh, like, I want you to think of me as a he's just like, oh, I don't think of you as a woman you know? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: and so in the end, she actually gets her own happy ending where she True. she goes off with uh, Larrabee and he's just like, oh, this is like this, this wonderful woman who's going to tell me what to do. Like he needs that in his life. Whereas maybe Ryan O'Neill's character kind of needs that chaos because he's trying to control everything.
1: Right. And I will say Madeline Kahn was my favorite part of the entire movie. Like I loved every single scene she was in. She was just a delight. I feel like she just brings such nice, fresh air into every scene.
0: I love her, and I think, you know, she, she, she's, she seems to be kind of forgotten to time, maybe. But she steals the show in yeah. everything she's in, whether it's this or Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles or Clue. Um, mm-hmm. She She's remarkable. She just has this really idiosyncratic uh, screen presence in her line yeah. deliveries, too, because I think it's very easy to take a character like Eunice and make her just gross and unrepentable and you just hate her, but you don't, you feel bad for her the whole movie and, um, and and, kind of secretly love her. Uh, and, and as you were saying before how Barbara Streisand's character could probably be in a modern movie as a sidekick, you could also see Eunice's character being just a complete villain for modern movies.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And and
0: I think that's what makes, makes it kind of, that, that balance is really, um, what makes it work
2: and just that this is her first film yeah and she has that that commanding presence like when she's saying what do you mean you can't find me i'm right here and then when she says <laughs> later on in the same scene she's like this is outrageous and like you can just see that little line being wasted by so many people and she it is like it's a me that little clip of this is outrageous she just makes the most of it and it is so funny Oh yeah. She was up
1: for an Oscar. It was like best newcomer or something like that. And um she didn't win it. Um Diana Ross won it. Hmm. which was weird. Or some I forget what it was, but she should have won.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and like when <laughs> and when her helmet wig is sort of slightly askew, it's just so silly looking, and she just like she plays everything straight though. Like it's like it's one of those things where you can easily like overdo. A lot of the kind of physical aspects of this this type of movie, and she doesn't whatsoever, like when she gets um there's one point where Judy um gives her Eunice the wrong address, and so Eunice gets dropped off at this place that's you know clearly oh right. where she shouldn't be and it's dangerous um and, and and she's kind of like her reaction to it is just wonderful, and then she walks into this this kind of shack kind of and sees these robbers who have one of the um, plaid overnight bags and it has the um, Howard's uh, Ignatius Rocks. <laughs> that's her only reaction to these these thieves.
2: <laughs> right, I do think was interesting that they filmed that she, a lot of times she's wearing a very bright color. Even her bathrobe is like, I think is bright blue, but she has like these blue dresses where there's scenes where most of the time, um, she has a, I wrote, yeah, bright, bold colors and they're like in Howard and Judy tend to uh, often be in black and white or neutral tones. And so I think there's an intention behind it to Definitely. have her be garish in a way. And that's what I'm saying about the attractive versus unattractive. But I agree. It, it, maybe it is more about like the controlling figure versus the chaotic one, um, which makes me feel better about it. But I did feel like I did, to, Matt, to your earlier point, I did feel like I found myself feeling sorry for her, for Eunice most of the time.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I think that's by design, though. Um, but again, they give her a happy ending. Mm-hmm, you know? Yes. They give her the her perfect mate. He's just like so excited. Like, yes, tell me what to do. <laughs>
1: he was a, he was a great character too. I really liked Larry. He was really great. I liked every time he was on on the scene too. He was great.
0: And, and there's a super super young Randy Quaid in this too. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes faces. You know, I don't know. Do you remember Mabel Albertson? Probably not, because you guys are young. Um, She was in um, Bewitched. Oh, it okay. Was, uh, Darren, Bewitched. And I recognized her right away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love you. It was very exciting.
0: <laughs> Mabel Albertson, she's great. The production design in this movie is amazing. Um, and that's by Polly Platt. And that is uh, Peter Bogdanovich's ex-wife. And actually... So they were married and they did their first two movies together. And during the last picture show, Bogdanovich cheated on her with Sybil Shepard. Uh, yeah. And he was like, I believe, like 10 years older than sh- Sybil Shepard at that time. After they had split up, they had two kids together. Uh, but they, they worked really, really well together. And she's actually the one that brought him the book, Last Picture Show, and said, We, sh- you, we should turn this into a movie. And she later became a pretty successful uh, producer in her own right. But um, for this movie, uh, Peter Bogdanovich was like, all right, we're casting Sybil Shepard. But he wanted to continue working with Polly. And Polly said, I'll continue working with you, but Sybil's not going to be in this movie.
2: (laughs) That's that's fair. Yeah.
0: And I I don't know if Sybil, I can't imagine Sybil in this role. Although Sybil did do a bunch of movies with Peter later. Uh, that are, are pretty great. Um, but that's another story for another time. But back to the production design, like I love the design of the hotel and like all the wallpaper is so cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And even Larambee's, uh his house is really cool. Like all that kind of 70s art deco, like the big pillars and all that stuff. Um, and some of it in some ways reminds me of like, this feels like a big influence on Wes Anderson with its design. Oh, um, mm-hmm. But I just love the way everything kind of looks in this. And that's all partly by her. And the way everyone is dressed. And I think everything feels kind of appropriate. And
2: um... Well, I will sit to that point. I did like the, um, I wrote the granny uh, maid with the gun. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> like there is a weird juxtaposition there where it's like, she's an older gal. Yeah. But she's wearing this, um, you know, Sort of a made outfit, and then she just has this gun. She's just like shooting the gun, and I, I, did. I laughed out loud at that. At
0: that oh, it, it, that's the moment too, where so there's like a sort of like a melee at Larabee's house, where basically every character has kind of um, gathered, uh, and all the bags are getting switched around, and they're trying to everyone's trying to get the bag that they desire, uh, and so chaos ensues, and the thieves with the guns are shooting. And the guns are going off and one of them drops it and then the maid picks it up and starts shooting kind of haphazardly <laughs> and it hits this giant like like this giant piece of art that's like a foot and the foot comes down and kicks this other thing and oh I yes, mean if yeah. that doesn't show you what kind of movie this is <laughs> and right. then there's like a literal pies in the face uh, at that point yeah, so, right. yeah. Oh
1: my gosh exactly yeah yeah
0: but we we haven't actually talked about the whole extended um chase sequence which i just think is so elaborate and really just uh really well constructed this movie came out i think like three or four years after this movie called bullet have you ever heard of bullet
2: it's steve mcqueen
0: yeah and that's movie is famous for a chase sequence through the streets of san francisco uh that's all, all cars and it's a serious like cop movie uh so this is sort of uh, parodying that in a lot of ways
1: i was imp- i was really impressed Reminded me a lot of the *Raising Arizona* car chase.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah. another movie yeah. that's like so a living cartoon. Is,
2: absolutely. I think so. This I looked it up, and this is like 19 days to shoot the car chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, over 30 stuntmen, and um, and over a million dollars just for the just for the car chase. And apparently, that's, they wow.
0: like those famous stairs that uh, from San Francisco that kind of zigzag back and forth that they drove the cars down. Yeah. apparently they didn't ask for permission to that do that and there's damage to those stairs that's still there to this day
3: oh my gosh <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but like there's like a like that whole secret sequ- sequence with the two guys with the plate glasses they're going back and forth and the brilliance of that moment is 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 like you know the the glass is going to smash you just don't know how it's going to smash mm-hmm. right. yeah right. It's, it's so great and they're like riding like this little uh cart with like a uh, like one of those kind of, uh, it's got like a storage thing in the front, almost like a like a cooler on the front of the the bicycle.
2: And the bags fit perfectly in it. Yep, they put
0: all four. They they, they take all four bags. <laughs> oh, they put I them in. It it. in. <laughs> and then they drive through like that that parade with the Chinese dragon. And she's like, I can't see. He's just like, you just see you just see a Chinese dragon.
2: <laughs> I will say, in terms yeah. of stunts, I one thing I noticed even in the beginning of this film, when, when Barbara Streisand's crossing the street, when Judy's crossing the street, the cars get so close to the people and it's throughout the car chase and they're driving by I think like a wedding a weddings coming out i, I don't know how someone was <laughs> killed <laughs> in all of these scenes there's a and it's throughout the movie there's these cars that get super close and i don't think i don't think that's a, I don't think the Stracian scenes are stunt doubles i mean maybe, maybe i mean you might know more they than, are maybe, yeah. they're very they're than they're flawless Flawlessly done because I was like, yeah, that got really close.
0: In fact, I believe Barbara Streisand's done double was a man. Um, <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I think I'm assuming there's like there's some close-up stuff where they're almost tow. They're probably towing them. So, like, they're okay. like their their bicycle that they're on is <gasps> oh, probably sure, sure, being sure. towed. That way, the camera could stay locked on and they don't have to worry about it. Um, but there's a lot of stuff like there's credible wide shots that shows like a whole street and like taking turns on the street. Um, that are just it's so impressive to see it is um, or going backwards on the bicycle like so they're going down the hill and then at the bottom of the hill they go up a hill but they don't have enough momentum so then they go back (laughs) down the hill going backwards (laughs) and it's just it's all so impressive to see because nowadays like they just do like a lot of cgi absolutely Um, yeah but again like this stuff is all like he was just like i want to make something like buster keaton and like these are like all these gags are just the entirety of Buster Keaton movies um, where he put his life on the line in order to entertain people. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously like standards and practices are different now. So like, yeah, Yeah. partly is because people have been injured so much that like they don't really allow this type of stuff. Um, The closest modern um, equivalent might be something like John Wick where they do a lot of these kind of visual kind of stunt stuff.
2: I haven't what? seen any of the John Wicks. Oh, there's so much fun. because I hear. Well, you, fun you say, yeah. And yet, all I hear is that they kill a dog in the first one. They do. Uh, <laughs> it's very sad, but that's the impetus for his
0: his his quest for his revenge. Rage. Yes, exactly. Okay, which yeah. is
2: all right. right.
0: They're fun Let's because, you know. like, it's not like they're super violent, but it's movie violence. You know what I'm saying? So okay. Uh, to yeah. me, with action movies, oftentimes, and this applies to what's up, Doc is. It's about the choreography, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like a dance movie in a lot of ways. Like I watch dance movies because I'm like, I can't believe what these people are, are capable of. When you watch Gene Kelly or or Fred Astaire and the way they move uh, and the way the camera frames them and and captures everything that they're doing, that to me is is filmmaking. And so that's what I look for in action movies as well. It's like, I want to see that choreography and it make it feel like, there's so much thought and attention put into that, and you see that at the ending of of What's Up, Doc, with all of these chase sequences.
2: Really quick, have you ever seen White Christmas? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That dance sequence between Danny Kaye mm-hmm. and um, not Rosemary Clooney.
0: Mm, what is her name? Uh, I'll look it up.
2: And no, it's a, I think she, it has a hyphen in it. It's like I feel like it's just a first name, Vera Ellen. Vera Ellen. And there's a dance sequence with them, and I, you would swear she was on like flowing cables but she's just you're right such an Allen. amazing yeah such an amazing dancer you th- think she, you you're like? there's no way she's not on a cable and they're just like <laughs> you know pulling her yeah. but it's not it's just that flawless of these beautiful dance sequences that is one of my favorite um i think film dance moments
0: yeah and and that that's the thing like watching a lot of this now i i'm just astonished that nobody's dead <laughs> because they do some they do some pretty crazy stunts.
1: Yeah, they really do. It,
0: it, and the whole movie kind of wraps up and everything works out for everybody for the most part. <laughs> Except for maybe Howard cuz Judy's going to follow him.
1: Right, right. <laughs> well, maybe he has that perfect amount of um sort of the opposite of chaos, right? That that
0: the control. Ambivalence
1: or whatever that um balances Balances her out. Maybe the chaos will stop falling. The boring—he's boring.
0: That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> he's boring. So boring, yeah. but he
1: balances out.
0: Okay. He has a line at the end of the movie, which is so he was became famous uh, because of uh, the movie Story. Love Story. Uh, yeah. yeah, Love Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that line at the end of the movie—let me see if I can find it. Um, love me. Love me is never, means never having, having to say discussion. you're sorry. That's from Love Story. <laughs> But this yes, movie, yes. He, yeah. he 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 says that's the dumbest thing I ever heard,
2: <laughs> which yep. I which I, I
0: think that's is great. pretty great.
2: Yeah, I didn't know he was was a boxer. He was apparently a professional um, boxer, and um, then he. But they did make a sequel to Love Story, and I think that was a, a bit of a disaster for him. Well, but
1: you know he was in uh, the main event with Barbara Streisand.
2: Which is oh, that's the- right. Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, neither have
1: yeah. i. They actually yeah, they have better I think I feel like they have better chemistry in the main events.
0: So you you didn't you didn't buy their chemistry in this?
1: What? Really? And again, like after I watched it like that second time, I kind of let go of a lot of that they don't have chemistry and I was uh, enjoyed it more. But I didn't I didn't get it. I didn't get why they were attracted to each other to be honest. Like I like find he He's cute ish, I guess, but he's also adult. Like, I can't imagine someone with that, with, um, you know, Barbara Streisand's, uh, Judy's rather, her intelligence and her, she's so interesting that she would find Howard interesting. Like, that is the part that kind of threw me off. And I feel like Howard was so boring that he would be a complete nervous wreck around Judy. So I didn't feel like there was attract, attraction there, there either. So I just didn't I didn't buy like the two of them together that much and, and t- until I sort of said, "Okay, fine, this is just more about like the you know the the dialogue and the slapstick and that sort of thing. And then I was like, okay fine let let' let them be together at the end. but um, I didn't buy that they were good together.
2: to me, it was they were just both gorgeous, and I was like they like in terms of the chemistry, I think for me for this movie to sort of work, that's all they needed to sort of really be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they, they could look into, yeah. look into those eyes and be and be attracted yeah. sure yeah
0: i yeah i think like the the best example of that is the bathroom scene where you know he goes back to his room and he's starting to ch- he's starting to change and i guess put on his pajamas um <laughs> and uh, he takes off his shirt and he can't get the bow tie off uh and then he walks and he he can hear her and he and he goes to the bathroom and she's taking a bathtub and she just looks at him and is and because he's just has his pajama pants on and a, and a bow tie. Yeah. And then he's so startled <laughs> he's like, that he drops his yeah. pants and he's, and he's in his <laughs> underwear. And he's very handsome and mm-hmm. really fit. And that look on her face is pretty yeah, much just like, yeah, so th- she's like, this is a snack. You know, and, and <laughs> yeah. that's that's why it worked for me because I think at first it's just, she's just kind of like, I'm just drawn to this person. Like, this is just a sexual thing. And then it becomes more once they maybe get into a chase sequence together. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, and even at the end, it's just kind of like, you know, I think movies kind of throw out the term love so quickly. And that's part and parcel with a lot of screwball comedies where these characters have known each other for maybe two or three days. And by the end, they're like, let's get married. And I think in a way, that's part of what this movie's playing with is that kind of because everything is absurd. So my, we might as well take it to that that next level of absurdity and like, yeah, of course they're in love. Why not? Because that's, this is a movie and this is a movie movie, meaning it's it's aware that it's a movie. Does, does that make sense?
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, going back to that scene on the plane, that woman that she was sitting next to was actually Ryan um, O'Neill's mom.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read that. And his brother's in it too, right? I think. Yeah, I couldn't point where
1: he was, though. I was trying to figure out where he was. Maybe he was like a waiter or something. I don't know. But yeah, he was supposed to be in it as well.
0: We haven't really talked about Hugh much, but his accent is uh, appropriately <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, that actor actually does the voice of King Triton from Little Mermaid.
2: No. Yeah. Mm. That,
1: <gasps> yeah.
2: Oh, my. I guess it's my favorite. It's like my favorite Disney movie. That's my my, my wife loves that my wife
1: loves that one. Don't start, Brian. He's gonna break. I'll just the song start singing.
2: Second. Yeah. No,
1: nope, don't do it.
0: My <laughs> wife sings it every day. Like in the shower, <laughs> you can hear her starting to sing. Sing. Look at that's this. That's my stuff. karaoke.
2: Isn't Part it of your neat? world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Part of your world is my karaoke go-to. But I'll t- my karaoke duet. This ties back to Barbara. Is you don't bring me flowers. Oh, nice. With Barbara oh. and Neil oh. Diamond. I mean, that's so funny. But I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, I love his like floppy hair and how pompous yes. he is, and just like, uh, and uh, and that wonderful scene where they're at the 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 uh, musicology banquet, and and uh, Ryan O'Neill is just like, we need to talk, and she's like, all right, meet me under the table. So they go, they both go under the table, but then Larrabee is just like meets them under. And he's like, you two can't keep your eyes off each other or hands off each other, and then everyone's under the table, yeah. so that everyone, um, yeah, and that- the guy is
2: like the maitre d says or the waiter says uh, what kind of wine are you serving over there
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's the thing too like this is so, super quotable uh mm-hmm. there's so yeah. many of those great kind of one-liners and i do think that the movie improves the more you see it because like especially like with everything that's going on in the world right now like this is a movie that's like comfort for me because uh, mm-hmm. it's such a distraction um and and it's so silly and I love that kind of, and it makes me feel good. And every time I see it, it I can actually f- like, because the first few times I was just like, I have no idea what's going on with any of the the back and forth with all the um, overnight bags.
1: Oh, with the bags. And stuff. Yeah, yes.
0: but but uh, you know, I've seen it like five or six times now and, and, and like, oh yeah, this is all connected. It makes sense completely to me now and I can follow every character because there's so much incident in this. Um, that it can be a bit overwhelming on the first time. And the more you watch it, and, and you found that too, Christina, where you, you said you watch it twice. Um, it, uh, it, you, you see how everything is is interconnected. Um,
1: Absolutely, yeah. It, 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 I'm so glad I watched it a second time, truly. It would have been a different conversation if I hadn't watched it a second time.
0: Even, even for this, like I rewatched it the other day and last night as I was going to sleep, I was just like, well, as I fall asleep, I might as well put it on again. Um, and I just ended up watching the whole thing because uh, <laughs> I couldn't fall asleep because it's so manic. Uh, and, uh, and it's
1: a quick movie. What is this? Like 90 minutes. Yeah. It's like yeah. 95
0: minutes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Christina, Christina, you could have told me you were going to watch it a second time <laughs> because now I feel like you and Matt are ganging up on me.
1: Well, That was sort of the plan.
2: <laughs> we secretly messaged each other and we
0: were just like,
1: I just, you know, honestly, Brian, I, I didn't even think to tell you, but, um, it, it it was, I just felt like I missed so much. I'm like, why? Because then I'm looking it up and I'm like, it won all these awards. I'm like, what am I missing? And I really felt like I needed to watch it again. I'm like, I feel like I watched a different movie. I well, like I missed so much of it.
2: Trust me. And because when you go, so I did watch this on iTunes and like it says the, the Rotten Tomatoes score. It's like 92%. I mean, it's a, it's a beloved film. So it I did, think did. I, So I think I went in with like, oh, this will be. Slapsticky with something a little extra, but it's like, oh no, this is just full-on slapstick. Yeah. And um I think, and that, and that's, I think, I don't know what I was. My, my expectations were, I think, just a little different.
0: i but, That's partly my fault too, because I was like, you were like Barbara Streisand, and I was like, what's up, Doc? And this is not like <laughs> what you'd expect with Barbara Streisand. And I definitely had like. Uh, reservations after our, we had settled, on I was like, "Oh, maybe I just i i did the wrong thing."
2: No, it was great because it also gave me a chance to see Madeline Kahn's performance, and you know, right, and just this this type of, uh, and just this type of film. I, again, my critiques of this film are very minimal, but unfortunately, they're about one of the main characters. <laughs> so I just wish there was more at stake. I just sure. wish there was, you know, just a little more. To, and trust me, I don't mean like I don't need Judy to have some sort of, you know. Um, precious flashback of bad yeah. times growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah, <laughs> but, that would be bad. But you know, right? That would be bad. But I guess just a uh, you know a, a hint more, uh, you know, yeah. subtext or whatever. Yeah,
1: and I think, I think that's you recommend it, it. It's not something that I would have normally watched, and um, and it's definitely a different type of movie than I would normally watch. So. I'm really glad that you've recommended it. I'm, I'm really happy to Great. have listed uh, it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I said, this is kind of like one of those movies where, because um, I don't own it, but when it pops up on streaming services, typically, um, which happens, you know, here and there, uh, I'll be like, oh, I, sh- I should rewatch this. Uh, um, and, and I always <laughs> enjoy it when I do because it's just so um, ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't want every I don't want every comedy to be like this, but I wish more modern comedies would do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish they they'd bring something like this back because um, I don't know. What, do you, mean like by, what do you mean by this? Like, like a mean screwball, screwball that kind comedy. of okay. that the kind of visual storytelling with comedies. Um, I feel like most modern comedies are situational, where it's more like again, kind of character based, um, and 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 they they all feel a little too familiar you know i think the closest we're getting is maybe edgar wright movies uh he did like shawn of the dead and and hot yeah. buzz and scott pilgrim and baby driver but those are also a little more their toes are dipped a little more in in the the action movie realm
2: yeah sometimes there's a risk though i feel like when you have sort of great characters, but you give them so much to do, you can't even enjoy them. Like, so as much as we talked about a plot earlier, um, like, you don't want too much of a plot when you have great characters, because then you don't (laughs) you sort of miss out on the nuances and the the dialogue and the the chemistry I guess so uh, I think that, that happens in terms of sequels um where it's like oh you know you have this these great characters so you make a second movie and I mean this is maybe not the best example but I go back to like say Jewel of the Nile like which is a sequel to Romancing the Stone so you have this amazing you have this amazing um chemistry this amazing sort of love affair with these great characters um Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas and then the second movie what do they do they split them apart for like 70 percent of the movie so it's like you I know you wanted they wanted to rush and make a sequel to build up the momentum, but they made the movie too busy and you're missing what (laughs) made the first one so good.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a tricky thing with sequels because you it's a balance between giving everyone what they got from the first one, but doing something independent of that and making it interesting on its own. Um, And that doesn't that doesn't always work. Right. Right.
1: Right. And it's probably was written in, you know less than a year whereas the original was probably you know decades in the making of some filmmaker saying you know i have this movie i want to make so it's um it's so much less so much less depth to it
0: great um well i'm 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 glad you mostly enjoyed it
2: <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> 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 but, man, this is what we were saying about like even pretty pretty woman like we will tend to like harp and harp and harp and then at the end we're like but it was good
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know like tony and i talk about this all the time on the show like especially with the our show one thing we're always doing is because we're we're focusing and we're researching and maybe watching something or reading something multiple times um you're almost looking for the value in it as opposed to looking for the things that don't work you know, it's almost like mm-hmm. a glass half full kind of thing, because yep. I, I think everything is on a, on a spectrum. It's not like black or white, uh, like we said at the top of the show. Uh, there's lots of gray areas and there are some movies that I hate with performances that I think are remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I think there's always something if you approach it from that perspective of like, well, where is the value there? Where is the thing that works for me? Then even if you come out of it saying like, oh, well, this didn't work, you can still appreciate the things that did work.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: So, on our show, um, we make recommendations based off of the topic of our episode. So, do either of you have any recommendations for anyone that is interested in, um, you know, following uh, what's up, doc?
1: Yes, I sure do. Um, so, the whole time I'm watching this movie, it reminded me of a movie that I used to watch as a child, and it's one of those movies that was probably on TV. I want to say every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> on like you know one of these like channel 56 kind of stations and um as a child i loved it i haven't watched it as an adult and i don't know how i would feel about it now but it reminded me so much of um you know what's up doc reminded me so much of this movie it's called it's a mad 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 world
0: oh yeah yeah yeah. of course
1: you know it's from 1963 mm-hmm. and it's i i now i want to watch it again although i looked <laughs> i looked at it's, it's great brian I, brian have you heard of it
2: I've heard of it, I've never seen it.
1: So, um, it has a ton of you know, kind of like old timers Ethel Merman, Sid Caesar, Buddy Hackett, um, Milton Burrell, Spencer Tracy, Spencer Tracy. It's just this like mad, uh, mad, like mad, mad, mad world. It's this, um, basically like a car chase sort of thing where everyone's trying to find treasure, okay? And, um, it reminded me so much of like the slapsticky dialogue and the car chases and things like that. Super fun. Um, I want to revisit it. And but I looked it up, and it's actually three and a half hours.
0: Yeah, it's really Whoa. long. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh
0: and I was God. like,
1: "What?" And I looked it, and I go, <laughs> "Oh, that's that's wrong. That's wrong." And I actually looked it up somewhere else. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it is three and a half hours." So I don't know how as a child. I'm I'm probably missing two hours of it as a child. I can't imagine I sat there for two and a half three and a half hours watching it. But um it reminded me so much of it, just so much of the dialogue and just the that fun aspect of the movie. Um, I would absolutely definitely if you have three and a half hours to spare, <laughs> recommend this movie.
0: <laughs> How
2: about you, Brian? Sure. I have a couple if that's okay. Yeah, um of course. one is uh, so this is might sound like a stretch, but stick with me. My Best Friend's Wedding. Okay. Okay, Julia Roberts. So if you look at, say, on paper, you have the sort of forceful, fast-talking, central female character. You have the dedicated, well-meaning groom or male figure. You have the tightly wound fiancé. You have the kooky supporting players, some with accents throughout. You have a lot of music that is in the moment, which um, what's up doc also does where it's like it's not necessarily score in the background it's actually like characters singing to each other or there's mm-hmm. music or there's like music in the elevator and things like that um, and in my best friend's wedding you have karaoke scenes you have them singing on on a boat um, and if you replace say the conference with the wedding sort of the idea of the wedding, it, there's a lot of similarities that I was like that it does remind me of that although yeah. going back to my original thing it's like I do think the um say that Julie Roberts character there's something very much at stake um it, and it's misguided I mean it's really unfortunate and it leads to a lot of heartbreak but I think um she's just this fast hawking uh, really, in the wrong character, and she at one point, in, but my best, my best friend's wedding, she says, "I'm the bad guy," and um, and I think it's actually my favorite Julia Roberts performance. But it's such a strong, I think it's a really strong, strong romantic comedy if we want to call it that. Um, and the other one I have is uh, called Quick Change with oh, Bill Murray. Oh, Quick Change is awesome. <laughs> uh, I, okay, I with Bill,
1: that
2: movie? Uh, yeah. yeah, Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid again from What's Up, Doc. And um, it's just like, you know, because it's loaded with mistaken identities and car chases and theft. And it's just, and I know it didn't do well. And I think I think it was not necessarily loved by critics, but it is funny. There's some really solid timing, dialogue timing. There's a lot of solid um, set up sort of gags with the car and the car not starting or something happening. And the timing is so well done. And it did remind me of What's Up, Doc. Or that, or rather, What's Up dr. reminded yeah. me of Quick Change.
0: I think Quick Change is actually has uh, kind of gained a cult following um, recently. And I do think I've seen a lot of critics kind of come around on it saying like, oh, this is secretly a, a pretty great Bill Murray movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have actually uh, three recommendations. Um, so the first one is, you know, if you want to see the origins of What's Up Doc, you should go back and watch uh Bringing Up Baby, which is by Howard Hawks and it stars Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant, um two of the greatest actors of all time in in my humble opinion. Uh and essentially it's the same story where Cary Grant is um studying dinosaur bones uh and um And Katharine Hepburn kind of plows into his life as this force of chaos. Um, And and Cary Grant is engaged to be married, um, uh, although his fiancée doesn't play as big of a role as Eunice does. Um, But it's um, more kind of madcap, screwball antics. Um, Cary Grant in like a pink frilly robe, which is crazy for the 30s. Um, Just like unbelievable chemistry between the two of them and maybe like Katherine Hepburn uh, she's just absolutely stunning Uh, the first time I saw it I absolutely fell in love with her Uh, but it's it's a really funny movie it also features a a, an actual leopard um, that's oh yeah and and when you watch it it's scary because it's a it's a real leopard (laughs) and if you read behind-the-scenes stories about it like they were scared I'm
2: embarrassed to say I've 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 never seen it
0: yeah it's so much fun and if you appreciated uh, What's Up Doc in any way you'll see the parallels between the two he essentially kind of remade it Uh, there's no chase sequence at the end but it still has that kind of like you know it revels in in putting tons of characters into one space and having them all ricochet dialogue off each other so what I want to recommend next is actually there are two podcasts that I want to recommend I want to recommend this podcast called The Plot Thickens. Uh, it's a brand new podcast uh, by Turner Classic Movies. And the first season, um, the show is hosted by Ben Mankiewicz, um, who's also a host on Turner Classic Movies. And the first season is all about Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, and it, so it was like a seven episodes, and it just charts his whole career. Uh, and he had like a pretty crazy life. He's like best friends with Orson Welles. Um, You know, I already talked about his his um, first wife, Polly Platt, and how he cheated on her um, for Sybil Shepherd, and it talks about his relationship with her, and it talks about all of his movies and how he had one girlfriend that was murdered. Um, But it charts his whole career, and it's really fascinating. And he's really Bogdanovich himself is is just an interesting character to listen to. Uh, He's really good at impressions, and uh, he has a real love for film and film history, so it makes for an interesting listen. Now, the flip side to that is the latest season of You Must Remember This, which is Karina Longworth's podcast about forgotten stories and lives from uh, old Hollywood. And this season, she's actually doing um, the show on Polly Platt, which is Uh um, Peter Bogdanovich's ex-wife. and. Essentially, she's telling the story of this alternative narrative about how she deserves more credit for his early success, um, and then her later life and the successes she had as a producer, and how Hollywood has kind of forgotten about her, even though she was really important to a lot of this era of filmmaking. Um, and so far, they're only up to the part where they're filming uh, the last picture so but it's still it's pretty great so far uh and and it's interesting as like a counter to the plot thickens where bogdanovich is telling his own story um and the two of them kind of uh contradict each other in some interesting ways and i don't think the truth is obviously discernible because you know we're not actually we we weren't actually there Uh, i think anytime you
2: mix divorce into any history things are going to get really weird (laughs)
1: It's their own interpretations of things happening, too. It's, yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's
0: really interesting to hear these two kind of narratives and how they ran parallel uh, and to hear Mm -hmm. these perspectives. Um, So, yeah, uh, that's uh, those are the things I
2: recommend. It's also great. If you haven't heard it yet, you must remember this. She does a great uh, I think it's six episodes of. Joan Crawford.
0: Oh, yeah. That was a great one. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. So it's good. good. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. That show in general is like not just the Polly Platt uh, new season. Just the show is great. If you're interested yeah. in Hollywood and, and old scandals. Hollywood and classic Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, Scandals. Yeah. Um, so so um. tell our listeners where you could find us.
2: Sure. Um, basically, uh, we're old roommates. So you can find us on i mean everything itunes spotify uh stitcher any podcast hosting um site and on social follow us on instagram and facebook i would say twitter we have a presence on twitter but not a not not a strong one we're very active on facebook and instagram though and um and yeah and so it's just at old roommates um is our is our (laughs) handle
0: uh do you have anything interesting coming up on the show
2: oh gosh
1: this week, uh, this week we released the uh, Bodyguard with Whitney Houston oh, and yeah. uh, Kevin Costner, so we re- revisit that. Um, what else is coming up? It Is Enough, We're, we'll be revisiting. the interesting. And um, Chi Wang Fu. Oh
0: wow, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Those are all movies that I haven't seen in a probably since they came out. Yeah, I listened. I, I listened to the Beetlejuice episode and um, when Harry met Sally because I actually just watched When Harry Met Sally a couple of days ago. When
1: Harry Met Sally was one of my favorite episodes. I loved it. I love. I mean, the movie itself is great, and yeah, um, So I love the episode. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. We've, um, we're almost at a year now. It's a weekly podcast, and uh, August will be a year. So we have quite a few things out there. Um, we actually did Purple Rain. I, I was listening to your episode with Jody. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Your episode of Purple Rain. It's it's so. It, I it was great. I loved I love that episode a lot, and Thank I loved you. hearing the um, the perspective of the first time watching something that was released, you know, in the '80s. It's so different than revisiting it. So it was great.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because like every time I see Jody now, it's like she's obsessed with Prince. Because we introduced it to her, so um, which is pretty exciting. So I expect every time that I run into you, um, that we'll, you'll be like, oh, we're obsessed with what's up, Doc, <laughs>
1: Absolutely, A- absolutely, all the awesome, Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. So much it. fun. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
2: Stitcher, and Google Play. And thanks as always to the What's Your Writers Club in downtown Providence for hosting us. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at What's Your Club. And you can get more information about what they
3: do on their website at whatcheerclub.org.